gone. Uh, thank you for um, the freedom we have to come and pray. And as much as I can go out through this city and through this neighborhood and act like uh, I'm something or try to convince Natalie and the boys and my friends that I'm something um, and even try to convince myself that I'm something. The truth is uh, none of us is a whole lot when we stand in, in the light of your power and your love and your holiness. And, uh, and yet, God, you love us just as we are and too much to let us stay that way. And so, God, I pray, Lord, that... Um, you would speak to us today that we would sort of offer ourselves completely to you and then we would feel uh, the warmth of your love as, you, as we realize you've offered yourself completely to us in Jesus at the cross. And so God, speak to us. We're listening. We want to hear from you today. In your name we pray. Amen. If you've got a Bible, turn to the book of Galatians. I failed to get the page number. But it's about this far back, uh, into the back. And so if you can find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, go about 50 pages. You'll go to Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, and then I believe Galatians. And most of our kids, if you have kids, uh, in, there are two kids' classes downstairs. There's Discoverers and Adventurers. The Adventurer kids have been learning the books of the Bible. And I believe even a couple of them have learned some of them, uh, which is pretty impressive. And parents are now texting us to tell us that their kids know the Bible better than us. And, uh, and we agree, and uh, we all have room to go. Um, I, uh, we're going to look at Galatians 2, verse 20. We're only going to look at one verse today. Um, but we do want to look at that one really well. I hate surrendering. I hate surrendering in checkers. I especially hate surrendering to my son in checkers when he gets you into that place where I can only go right or left and he's going to get me either way. I hate that move in checkers. I hate surrendering in tennis. I used to have uh, in South Carolina a friend who is French and his tennis game was just like Roger Federer. Like he had the greatest uh, back, uh, backhand you've ever seen and he would just smear me and I'd always want to be like one more set, one more game and I could never beat him and eventually I just had to concede that he was going to beat me uh, basically every time. The one time I beat him, he had had meniscus surgery, and it was his first time back and uh, playing, and I, I barely beat him. It was like seven to five, and, uh, and I never let him hear the end of that, and uh, that was the best. Uh, we would always go get like milkshakes or drinks after, and I, it was like I, it was the best milkshake or drink I'd ever had in my life after being my friend Nico. Uh, I hate conceding an argument or admitting that I can't do something. I hate surrendering in traffic in Charlestown. You know when somebody comes out of one of the ladder streets and they pull out so far that you have to let them go? I hate it. Like I just want to jam through and be like, I don't care that you came out this far. I hate surrendering. It's not part of being human. I put myself in there with Thomas Edison and his thousand failed light bulbs before he got the right one that became the light bulb. I put myself in there with Walt Disney who was so poor and down on his luck when he had the vision for the mouse that he ended up eating dog food uh, to survive after being fired from a newspaper for lack of creativity. Uh, and then he went to Hollywood, created Mickey Mouse, 
and had the idea rejected over and over, uh, but stuck with it until it finally clicked for someone. I uh, lumped myself in there with Dick and Rick Hoyt, who completed marathons as Dick pushed Rick in the wheelchair, um, as his son uh, had tons of physical limitations. I put myself up there with the Red Sox, uh, never surrendering to the Yankees, even when down 3-0 and going to do something that's never been done. I put myself in there with the Patriots, coming back from down 28-3 against the Falcons. I had one of these never surrender moments the other day. I was coming through Sullivan Square. There is a guy in the left lane. He wants to get on Rutherford in the right lane. I won't let him in front of me because I'm partly afraid that he's going to get hit by somebody coming down the right lane. It would be my fault. And partly, I just don't like people uh, coming down knowingly in the left lane and trying to jump over into the far right lane at the end. Uh, some of you are shamefully looking down because you know you are sinners like me and you agree. And so I don't let him in. He goes behind me. And, uh, and, he, and he gets over in Rutherford, and then he honks his horn and starts leaning out of his window screaming at me. Well, the never surrender part of me doesn't know just to look the other way. And I look at him, and I go, <laughs> and I just keep beginning to go. And he's going down Rutherford, and I'm beginning to go toward Bunker, and, I, and all of a sudden, boom! And I didn't know what happened and look over and he had thrown his coffee cup and hit our car and I uh, hit right beside Natalie. We look, there's coffee running down the side. I mean, two observations in conclusion. One, this guy had unbelievable aim because he is from, <laughs> he's from here to that column from us and just nailed our car. Two, Natalie goes, what an idiot. Who throws away a perfectly good cup of coffee? <laughs> so... Uh, it was, it was a, a never surrender moment. Was it, you're pointing at Chris. Was it Chris Ferrario? <laughs> it wasn't Chris. It probably was an old cup of coffee. It may have been an old cup of coffee. That was, the, that was the road rage cup of coffee that you just leave there to throw at people in Sullivan Square. Um, I don't know what you are. Are you a quitter? Are you a never quitter? Are you like uh, one of my children, which I won't name, who just suddenly moves on to something else? Like you get up against an obstacle and then you just lose interest. You don't surrender. You just find something else to get into. Like, I don't know how you are. I don't like to surrender. But surrendering is fundamental. It is at the core of following Jesus. Surrender is, uh, being a Christian is surrender. If you hear nothing else today, if you want to write one thing down, write that down. Being a Christian is surrender. And this song, Yahweh, is a song of surrender. I'm surrendering my shirt. I'm surrendering my feet. I'm surrendering my mouth so quick to criticize. I'm surrendering my life. He calls himself a city on a, that should be on a hill. I'm surrendering everything. Uh, this song is a song of surrender. Bono constantly in interviews and everything else talks about surrender. Uh, by the way, every week we try to set out the, uh, set out the books that we've kind of used uh, in preparation for that week's message. And three of these are about the theology of U2 or interviews with Bono. The other three I'm using today are The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, The Shadow of the Almighty uh, by Elizabeth Elliot about her late son, Jim Elliot, and then Washed in Waiting, uh, Reflections on Christian Faithfulness and Homosexuality by Wesley Hill, who's one of my theological heroes of the last 20 or 30 years. So uh, surrendering uh, to Jesus. Let's read Galatians 2.20 if we can. If you underline your Bible, boy, this is, this is one that's worth underlining. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself up for me. This is Paul writing to a network of churches in the region of Galatia. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Boy, that's the Christian life right there. Let's go kind of phrase by phrase if we can and uh, talk about it. Then we'll get into sort of some specifics of what this looks like in our lives. That first phrase, I've been crucified with Christ. Not literally. Uh, Paul, when he writes this, has not literally been crucified with Christ. It's more, uh, it's, it's, but it's also not metaphorical. Like communion, we're not literally receiving the body and blood of Jesus, but it's more than just a symbol. Uh, it's more than that. And the same here. Um, the idea, Paul's not saying I've literally died on a cross and came down and wrote this book. But it's also not just a metaphor. Like there's, there is something of a self-death that comes to following Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, one of my favorite theologians of the 20th century who died in a Nazi concentration camp. As a Christian theologian uh, said, when God calls a man, he bids him come and die. Well, that's a powerful quote. Like I, that one comes back to me over and over in my life uh, because he actually did that. Like he actually laid down his life uh, to try to uh, end the Third Reich. And um, this crucify with Christ idea isn't easy. It isn't natural. It isn't painless. The Christian life isn't easy. I'll meet people who will set out to follow Jesus and then they'll kind of tap out after six months and... Uh, Here's, here's what following Jesus uh, is a bit like emotionally, if I can just paint a really quick picture, because I know that some in the room maybe would not yet describe themselves as followers of Jesus. When someone is born again or they become a Christian, they begin to follow Jesus, you experience this sort of high uh, and emotional euphoria that comes because the Bible says that you've been born again, your sin has been forgiven, and God's spirit now lives in you, and that's a powerful thing. And so you feel this, man, like I love God, and you think about God all the time, and you want to read the Bible, and you want to know God and his people, and all of those things. But like any relationship, uh, man, my relationship with Natalie, we've been married 14 and a half years, there are ebbs and flows to that relationship. And following God, following Jesus is a little bit like that. And I'll see so many people who, when Christianity gets difficult or hard, they'll kind of tap out when you come off the, the high end of the roller coaster. Uh, crucifixion, being crucified with Christ, especially when it doesn't feel good or natural or easy, is really uh, painful. And, and, be, and staying, like Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. Staying on that cross of self-death is really painful. Crucifixion hurts. It was the worst death ever. It was only reserved. If you were a Roman citizen, you could not be crucified. It was so awful, and it stole the dignity of someone so bad that it was only reserved for the worst of criminals uh, who were caught by the empire committing crimes. And even throughout history, as recently as in the Japanese empire, there have been times where Christians have been crucified because it was so shameful and so painful that you would never do it to someone um, for just committing a, a common crime. Uh, it is a horrible, horrible, painful death. And we clean it up. Uh, when Mel Gibson, 15 years ago, whenever it was, when he came out with that movie, The Passion of the Christ, they asked him, they said, Mel, do you think like you kind of made this a little rough? He goes, actually, I cleaned this up. He said, people would be vomiting in movie theaters if we showed you this for what it really was. It was awful. And uh, I can't even wrap my mind around that. I watched that movie one time, and that was enough times for me. 
Uh, Jesus died naked. Uh, he died beaten to within an inch of his life. And then they put him up on a cross. And typically when you died on a cross, uh, you just kind of blood would fill into your lungs and you would drown in your own blood in your lungs. I mean, and here's Paul saying, we wear this thing around our neck and I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I die to myself. You die to yourself. Luke 9, 23 and 24, Jesus says, uh, we have to take up our cross. We have to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow him. This isn't a one-time thing, this cross life, this Christian life. It's every day. Even for me, I don't know if it's like this for you. Some of you have been following Jesus for a long time. Sometimes I have to like take up my cross hour by hour, almost minute by minute. Do you ever get so frustrated with someone uh, and, uh, and it's like, oh, Jesus, like I got to climb back up on that cross again because if I don't, I'm going to smack somebody right now. Like I got to get on that cross and be crucified with Christ right now. I no longer live, he goes on to say, but Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me and I no longer live relating to my sin. I now, if you're a follower of Jesus, because you've been, if you've been crucified with Christ, to live that life hour by hour, day by day, means that you and I view sin the way that Jesus views sin. Now, for some of us, that makes us feel really nervous because we think of God almost like um, a, a, a teacher at a religious school who's going to smack us on the wrist really hard, just make us feel guilty about being human. That's not how Jesus treated sin. When Jesus met sinners caught in sin, he loved them, but he always called them to leave that life. So he wasn't mean and angry and judgmental and throwing a guilt trip on people, but he also didn't enable people to stay in unbelief and sin. And to be crucified with Christ means that I view my sin the way that Jesus does. I understand that I'm perfectly loved despite my sinfulness, but I'm empowered in Christ to walk away from it and to be changed uh, by the death of Jesus. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me relating to myself. I understand that I'm not the king of the universe. My kids don't fully grasp this. Uh, it's like Halloween candy is a great example of this. Uh, we were talking with some parents last night. They were like, we let our kids keep five pieces of candy. And somebody else said, we let our kids uh, keep 10 pieces of candy. My children feel entitled to their entire bucket of candy. Like, I may draw back a nub if I try to uh, take their candy while they have a sharp object in their hands. Like, you just can't do it. Like, they, children uh, intuitively think that they're the center of the universe. And, and it's kind of fair, if we're honest. Like, they kind of were born with a camera in their face, and we just do that all the time. Like, and uh, so that's the universe that we've created for them. But part of following Jesus is understanding that Jesus is king, not me. He sits on the throne of the universe, not me. Like, I can't act like uh, spiritually like my children act about their Halloween candy. That is not a crucified with Christ type of lifestyle. I've surrendered my rights. I see myself in the light of who Jesus is and who Jesus says that I am. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me relating to the world. This isn't just, hey, I'm moving through here. The Bible says if you're a Christian, that you are a sojourner. You're just passing through this life. 
And you're an ambassador. You represent God in a foreign uh, land. I view this world as Jesus does. I view people as Jesus does. I view culture as Jesus does. I view politics as Jesus does. We went and voted early on Tuesday. And I go into the ballot uh, area, whatever, where you cast your vote. And I'm thinking, okay, Jesus... I've learned as much as I can about these three issues and these candidates. Who would you have me vote for? And as a Christian, I don't vote straight Republican and I don't vote straight Democrat. I vote based on what I believe and what those people or those issues, how they sort of show up in light of Jesus and what he's done in the world. And that's a different thing because we live in a culture where... uh, some like what how'd you describe it the other day chris ferrario you said 30 percent uh think one thing 30 percent think another thing and then 40 percent probably just want the rest of the 60 percent to be quiet and go away and uh it was something like that that's my translation but i thought it was pretty accurate like we view people and politics and culture in such a way that we understand we've been crucified with Christ. This is not our home. Jesus was totally comfortable in culture. Like he wasn't a fundamentalist who kind of just hated being with people. He was totally comfortable in culture, but he understood that he came to redeem culture, not to absorb culture. And that's the Christian life. We don't, we're not here to be a sect of some weirdos who are setting up our own little communes here in Charlestown or in Boston. We're here to be in the world, to redeem the world, to, in the name of Jesus, to say, hey, God has a better way and a better kingdom that we can be part of. I'm no longer, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me relating to the law, the, the Bible, the rules of the Bible. The Bible says that I'm justified and set free to, uh, to live for God, no longer enslaved to the laws that I couldn't follow. Part of being a Christian means that... Uh, this is my friend Joel and his wife Kathy. They were uh, leaders in our church in Greenville. They just are vacationing up here and came and worship with us today. And I'm super excited to see them because I love them like family. And uh, so if Joel is God, which is laughable, uh, that's why I'm using his, him and his example. And he's laughing too, so he understands, right? Uh, if Joel is God and I'm JD and Lane is Jesus, to what happens when someone becomes a Christian Uh, God would look at me and say, guilty, 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 guilty. Sinner, guilty, condemned, deserves hell, all of it. But Jesus, played by Lane, steps in between us when I become a Christian and says, no, Dad, he's not guilty. I'll take his guilty punishment, and he's now part of my family. So I get all the righteousness of Jesus. When someone becomes a Christian, to be crucified with Christ means when God looks at me, he sees the goodness and righteousness of Jesus. That's the Christian life. That's the biblical word for that is justification, God giving us what we could never deserve. And so because of that, God now lives in our hearts and he begins to change our desires and he changes our hearts. I see it. uh, I see the law and the rules of the Bible as Jesus does. Jesus died to free us from the Bible, from the law's penalty, but also to call us to obey it. And this is a misconception with a lot of Christians in America uh, today. I I see this in different places is that, okay, now I'm a Christian. I can just go live however I want. And that's not the Christian life. Jesus uh, died to set us free from the penalty of the law, but also to call us to obey God 
and to be uh, people who represent him well, not out of fear, but out of a spirit of freedom. In the same way that I love my kids, and if my kids and Barrett were playing in the middle of Bunker Hill Street, I would love them, but I would also snatch them out of the road, understanding that they're in danger. And part of maturing is understanding, hey, mom and dad would let us play in the middle of the road, but that's really dangerous, so we're just going to choose not to play in the middle of the road. That's what happens with the law. We're not slaves to it anymore, but we're also free to uh, live in a way that honors uh, God. And then none of this is easy, by the way. Crucifixion hurts, but it's worth it. And it, it's, what, uh, it's what it will cost if, if we call Jesus our Lord. And that's, the, that's one of the tricks is following Jesus is not free. I have... Um, in 20 years of being a pastor, seen a lot of people decide to follow Jesus, but they didn't count the cost. They didn't understand it cost everything, and they never make it when they come off the euphoria of beginning to follow God, because it does cost. I live my life by faith, Paul says, and Jesus who loved me and gave his life for me. To live by faith means that I reorient my life around God as an act of worship in response to what Jesus did for me. It means I obey what I know to be true, and it means I seek to know the truth as God builds this desire into me. I met a guy one time who was dying of throat cancer. He couldn't talk anymore. And uh, a buddy of mine was his pastor. And the guy had gone to church all his life, but he wasn't, uh, he wasn't changed. He was just a church attender. And he becomes a Christian at the very end of his life. And, uh, and he's just homebound at this point. And he's dying and um, a really painful death. And my buddy goes to him and he's, he can only communicate by writing things down. And he says, Pastor, Something is changing in me. And my buddy said, what do you mean? He says, all the shows I used to like to watch, I can't watch them anymore. He said, well, why? He says, something in my heart is changing. I don't love the things I used to love anymore. That's what it means to be crucified with Christ and no longer live, but Christ lived his life through us. This is in opposition to being religious or becoming a Christian to get out of hell free. Jesus doesn't ask us to make a million big God decisions up front, but just trust and take one step at a time. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. One step at a time. I read this quote this week by um, a theologian. He said, The more we exercise faith in Christ, the more he is free to live through us, the more we are obedient to the scripture and the leading of the Holy Spirit, the more our life approximates what Jesus would do if he were in our shoes. In that sense, the life he lives, he lives by faith in the Son of God. So Bono, at a lot of his concerts, will wear a flag or fly a flag. And um, it's not an Irish flag, it's not an American flag, it's not a Central American flag or African country's flag. He wears a white flag. He'll wear a white flag. We put those in your seats today. And he said this. He said, this is why I use those white flags. This idea of a flag drained of all the color. The idea of surrender. If there was any flag worth flying, that was it. Man, that's a great, that's cool. I want you to have one of those today when you leave. Make sure you grab one. If there wasn't one in your seat, grab one. There's a few extras up here. Should be enough for everybody. We don't like surrender. We don't like white flags. But the Lord calls us to be a surrendered people and a constantly surrendering people to him. So I'll tell you, I think a couple things we've got to surrender. One, to live the Christian life well, we've got to be willing to surrender habits. Uh, any habits, anything in our life that needs to go and surrender, any attitudes or actions or relationships or patterns or secrets, 
we begin to let those things go uh, and surrender. We surrender those uh, to Jesus. And so that's being crucified with Christ. We surrender our rights. We understand I'm a steward, not an owner. As Americans, we love our rights. We love rights as Americans. We, we get that. The gospel says, though, that we are not owners. We're stewards. We're managers, not owners. We surrendered our rights. I don't have the rights anymore to my time. That is hard for me. I don't have the rights as a Christian. I'm not the owner of my money. Here's a really hard one that I'll be honest. This is probably the hardest one for me. I'm not the owner of my boys. I'm a manager, a steward of those two young men, and they're God's kids, and one day they'll be adults, and I'll hand them off, and they'll go live their life, and hopefully they will be crucified with Christ fully, and they'll go live a good life, but my mom uh, mom had an almost impossible time getting pregnant uh, with me and with my brother, and one day she was leaving church and crying, uh, and... She just said, God, if you will give me a kid, I w- it's your kid. I'm not an owner. I'm a, I will not be his owner, but I, I would love a, a baby. And, uh, and so my mom, even from the youngest age, she still says it to this day when like, she's emotional that we live in Boston and she lives in Georgia. She'll say, but you're not mine. You're God's kid. You're his. And he's got, you've got to do what he wants you, what he's calling you to do. Uh, with your life. And I have to view my children that same way. My job, uh, my home, I'm not the owner of any of these uh, things. My future, my destiny, sort of where my life is going, that's not mine. That's God's. He's in control of that. He's a good father, so he's taking care of it. The idea of my anything as a Christian is really laughable. The I, like if you say, well, this is my that's a laughable idea for a, for a follower of Jesus. There's nothing that's off the table if we've been crucified uh, with Christ. When Bono sings, take these hands, take these feet, take, these, take this mouth, take all those things, what he's saying is that he's surrendering what he knows he doesn't own and asking God to do something beautiful with them. So let's take a quick survey. Here we go. Take out a pen. Take your, the back of your bulletin. And I want you to just answer these questions as fast as possible, not looking for some deep something. I want you to list one person you love. List your job. List one sin habit that's really hard for you to shake. List one trait, personality trait, not like one earlobe hangs lower than the other. One trait that makes you unique. One possession that means the world to you. Your dress, where you live. My dress is long, so I'm going to let my wife have just a minute to write all that down. One person you know far from God. I don't know everybody's heart, and you don't either, but just as best you could. So I'll give them to you again. One person you love. Your job, a sin habit you can't shake, one trait that makes you unique, one possession that means the world to you, your address, one person far from God. To be crucified with Christ means that person you love, uh, 
with them, you are a manager of that relationship, and that person is someone that God wants to love profoundly through you. With your job, that is a missionary post that God has sent you out on. The church really struggles when they begin to view uh, the job of like chief missionary as the preacher's role, when everybody understands that God has sent you to your job just like he sends me to my job. We're all encouraged to go out and live on mission for him, not like bringing in tracks and acting like weirdos or anything like that, but just loving people unashamedly in God's name. That's good. That's how he wants us to, to live. There's a tiny plaque down on Court Street, I believe, referencing the salvation of Dwight Moody, who came to Christ in 1855 uh, because a shoe store owner who's not named on the plaque went and, uh, and was convicted that he wasn't living for God in his workplace and led Dwight Moody to faith. And Dwight Moody became the most famous evangelist of the mid-19th century. One sin habit you can't shake. I want you to understand that that is how God wants to get victory in your life. Like, I hope we sit here in a year and we, we can look back and laugh at what you feel like you're struggling now, with now. And in a year, it's not even there because you've been crucified with Christ. You climb up on that cross over and over and, uh, and eventually it's not a struggle. One trait that makes you unique is God's unique gifting to make him famous. One possession that means to world, the world to you is something you're called to steward, not own. Your address is God's beachhead of light. Carson and Lana are great at throwing the garage bacues. I've been to your guys' house to, to eat food. You guys view your homes as a place to love people and spend time with people. I love that. That's living on mission uh, for God. That can be such a beautiful thing. One person far from God, maybe God would work through you to love that person. To be surrendered, we surrender our past. Johnny Cash said, somebody was talking about Johnny Cash this morning, actually. Yep. Uh, Johnny Cash said, you build on failure. You use it as a stepping stone, close the door on the past. You don't try to forget the mistakes, but you don't dwell on them. You don't let it have any of your energy or any of your time or any of your space. Surrender your past. Uh, this is me, not Johnny Cash. Uh, surrender your past, what you did and what was done to you. That's part of what it means to live surrendered. Identity. This may be the most, uh, this is the hardest, I'll be honest. And I'm going to read it because I want to get the words just right uh, on this. Uh, your identity, where he says, take these shoes, this shirt, this soul, this fist, this mouth, this city, this heart. To be a follower of Jesus is to be put to death. It means I'm no longer first male. I'm no longer first white. I am no longer first Protestant. I'm no longer first straight. I am no longer first middle class. I'm no longer first any other marker that would make up my identity. When we become a Christ follower, we aren't first male or female, white, black, brown, American, Puerto Rican, Irish, Chinese. We're not first gay or straight. We're not first lower, middle, or upper class. We're not first Protestant, Catholic, Baptist, Pentecostal, Presbyterian. We belong to Christ, and he is our highest identity. He is our highest identity. So now all my other identities are submissive to Jesus. So if I was an alcoholic and I came to follow Jesus, to be crucified with Christ means that I am a Christ follower who struggles with alcohol, who wrestles with that every day. If, um, if I am a one percenter economically, to be crucified with Christ means that I am a Christ follower who is blessed with resources. If I was financially challenged, a.k.a. poor, 
To be crucified with Christ means I'm a Christ follower who doesn't have as much as others. I'm not poor. I am Christ's. Christ is my highest identity. That's what it means to be crucified with Christ. If I was gay or lesbian, to be crucified with Christ means I am a Christ follower who is same-sex attracted. My sexuality is part of my identity, but it is not my highest identity. I won't be an Irish Christian, a Chinese Christian, a New England or a Southern Christian, a young or an old Christian, a Republican or a Democrat or an independent Christian, a Baptist or a Catholic or Pentecostal Christian. Following Christ is my identity. All those other markers, all those other things that we think make us serve and fall in behind the identity of being a Christ follower. It's why Paul, later in Galatians, if you still have your Bible open, he says in verses 27 and 28, if you still got it, you can look. If not, just listen. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus is our highest identity if we're Christians. And finally, to be surrendered means we surrender our destiny. Jim Elliott, who uh, for most of my life has been my spiritual hero, said this. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott was one of the best and brightest uh, American theologians in the 19, I believe the 1940s, if I'm remembering the math right. And uh, he and some buddies from Wheaton Bible College, I think in the Midwest, decided that they were going to go to South America and live among a bunch of uh, people living in the mountains in Ecuador called the, uh, the Aka. And the Aka were a savage group of people. So they went down and they go to live among them. They, they're learning the language and it starts them trying to engage them with the gospel because these people have never heard of God or Jesus. And they come and they begin to give them gifts and just kind of set them and trying to build a relationship with them. And uh, Jim Elliott, in the midst of this, is a newlywed. He has, his wife is pregnant, and he and his buddies, Nate Saint and three others, they go and they land their plane along the banks of a river one day. They go out, and they're going to share the gospel. They believe they found a person of peace. They're going to share the good news of Jesus with the Aka Indians, and out come the Indians, and they kill them right there on the banks of the river. And man, what a, like a violent uh, end. But he understood that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And um, history is littered with the stories of people who gave their lives and surrendered to the Lord and his call on their lives. William Wilberforce, who wasn't a martyr, but watched his health deteriorate in trying to end the slave trade in Great Britain. Uh, Patrick of Ireland, who spent his life. He was a slave in Ireland, a, British, uh, a person from the British uh, Isles who was carried off as a slave into Ireland, got away back to home and felt the spirit of God calling him to go back to Ireland, spent the rest of his life in Ireland trying to evangelize the Celts. Jim Elliott, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Perpetua and Felicitas, Edith Stein, who was born Jewish, uh, converted to Christianity, died in, uh, in World War II. Kayla Mueller recently, who died as a Christian at the hands of ISIS. We aren't heroes for surrendering. We're joining what Hebrews 11, 1 through 12, 1 call the great cloud of witnesses. Hebrews 12, uh, or Hebrews 11 says, I can't remember if it's 11 or 12, sorry. Therefore, since we are, it's 12, 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, 
Let's cast off everything that weighs us down and the sin that so easily trips us up. Let's run the race that God has marked out for us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's what it means to live a surrendered life. Surrender and being crucified with Jesus are best evidence with one word. And here it is, worship. Man, that's a surrendered life, is a life of worship. Worship isn't going to, just going to church and singing songs. Uh, you know, you, people, I, we would go to church in, in the South, and, uh, and Joel and Kathy have seen this uh, many times, and some of you have. And people have all their different worship poses. You know, you've got the guy who it's like his football team just scored the great uh, touchdown to win the Super Bowl. And they're like, Woo! you know, you've got this worship. Then you've got the guy who's underarm sweat like I am right now. And he's kind of raising his hands like this. And then you've got people who are, you know, doing this. I mean, you see all of these different poses. And yes, certainly like that's part of worship, but that's not only what worship is. And you've got people who sing loud. And like I uh, have a strict rule about I don't, I'm not a great singer, so I don't like to sing in small crowds. So some Sundays we have music and some Sundays we don't because uh, that's worship, but that's not all that worship is. It's not just listening to Christian songs or hymns. Worship, um, here's a good definition for worship. The thing we're most surrendered to is what we worship. The thing that we would most sacrifice for. Is what we worship. That's worship. And, uh, and Jesus would have us worship him. The Christian life, being crucified with Christ, is a life of worship. So there's two things I want us to do. One, I want you to take that white flag home and put it somewhere where you will see it. Uh, just put it, you know, if it's in your car or wherever. And two, I want us to collectively, if you will, do, um, do one thing together every day this week, not literally together, but collectively agree that we're going to do this. I want you uh, every day for just a moment to spend a moment in prayer. And when you go to pray, I want to encourage you. And some of you say, dude, I'm not a Christian yet. I'm not asking you to become a Christian today. Uh, not on this part. Uh, but I want you just to say, Lord, that word Yahweh, just Lord, just come to him and say, Lord, and then I want you to, to, to do two things. One, I want, and, and it's okay to be totally honest with your doubt, your unbelief, your frustration, your sadness, your joy. It's totally okay when you come and pray to have, to come with whatever you want. Just come talk to God. Lord, I'm mad today. Lord, I'm confused. Lord, I'd like to believe in you, but I don't. This seems crazy. Those are okay prayers, but I want you to do two things. One, when you come, I want you to say, Lord, and I want you to put your hands out like this, down, and just let go of anything you need to let go of and surrender. Maybe it uh, is apathy. Maybe it's unbelief. Maybe it's depression, fear, anxiety, impatience, anger, uh, bitterness, jealousy, hopelessness, addiction, greed, lust, busyness this week i was so busy but i feel like i've lost this week of my life and uh it's been awesome it's been really fun but my prayer this morning was god my i release my busy heart to you right now and then i want to encourage you to turn your hands over like this and then receive some things from god whatever you need him to send you god right now i receive love I receive joy. I receive hope. I want to receive faith. 
I want to receive peace or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, forgiveness. I want to receive grace. I know it's going to feel odd, so do it if you need to alone. This morning, I was sitting there. The boys were watching television. We were all on the couch, and I'm sitting there like this just trying to pray before we come. Natalie goes, what are you doing? It's like, I'm praying. Why don't you leave me alone? I'm talking to Jesus, babe. Dang. And uh, like just a moment with God, releasing what needs to be let go of, receiving what needs to be surrendered, be, or receiving what you need to receive. If you miss a day, don't quit. If you miss a day, don't quit. If it feels awkward, don't quit. It doesn't have to be long. I just want you to be honest. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be churchy. I don't, you don't need big words. Just honest. God, I'm letting, Lord, I'm letting go of this. I want to receive this each day this week. And I can't wait to see what he does. Let me pray for us.